Well, amen. Okay, guess what? I'm in love with the video. <laughs> I'm watching that. This means war. Do not be afraid. The battle is not yours. Victory in Jesus Christ. We don't come today to do some religious activity. We have come to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and to celebrate the fact that we have been Redeemed. We have been blood-bought. We've been bought back from our sin. We've been set free under the light of His marvelous grace. We are His chosen people, and we have the right to call Him Father. Amen? So if that's not your intention today, I'll give you a minute to leave. Because we've come to worship. We've come to learn of our Savior today. You know, we're in a study uh, about prayer, about looking at the disciples' prayer and 57 words, depending on what translation you're looking at, 57 words, every one of them important. When you only got 57 to deal with, you know everyone's got to be important. And, and the disciples and, and Luke went to Jesus and said, when he taught this other, in another place, and said, you know, Lord, we see how you pray and we see how we pray and it doesn't look exactly the same. We want to pray like you pray. Would you teach us to pray. And that's kind of my heart in this series, because I know in these critical days that we are living in, and that's across every spectrum that that you can imagine. In these critical days we are living in, we need to be a people of prayer. And we need to quit praying like we want to pray and learn what Jesus said about prayer. So that's what we are doing the next, oh, well, all the way through Easter. And and last week we really just had a great time. I know some of y'all couldn't be here because of weather. Bless God, we saw like 300 people here. It was an awesome day. And it was just a very special day in the house of the Lord last week. And and we kind of learned the big the big takeaway last week, I think for me, was, was when when Jesus said, so when you pray, pray like this. Now, he didn't tell us what to pray for. He said a pattern, pray like this. And then he said these words, our Father. Our Father. And, and we talked about the fact, and you, if you weren't here last week, get this this week. You know, when he said those words, that was like a big deal. I know we, we talk about all our songs have got the word, you know, Father with God. And we're very comfortable and very used to that. But for a Jewish person, this was like revolutionary. 14 times. 14 times in the old, entire Old Testament is God referred to as Father. And every time it's on a national level. Listen, not one time, not one time, not one time does a man in the Old Testament look to God and say, Father. Jesus comes along and says, today, all that changes. In fact, the word he uses for Father is the word Abba. Again, probably a solid, safe translation of that into the English would be dearest father, dearest father. We, because we have been redeemed, have the right to call. Now listen, don't miss this. If you heard it last week, don't miss it. You know, here's creator God, all powerful, omnipotent, all knowing God. And we have the privilege and right because we have been redeemed to call him dearest father. Not schoolmaster, dearest father. Not slave driver, but dearest father. And for a Jewish man, that would have been so radical. And I'm telling you what, it ought to be radical for us as we understand exactly who God is. So he said, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed. And and we learned last week that that the very heart of prayer is worship. In fact, one theologian said that, that worship is the very essence of prayer. We're beginning to learn that's about his will and his name and his kingdom. And not my name and not my will and not my kingdom. 
In fact, we're learning that's all about His will getting done on earth and not my will getting done in heaven. Prayer is not what you think it is. And over the next weeks, we're going to learn exactly that. And like I said, every word is important. And so the sermon sheet won't work today. This thing has changed. It's metamorphic. I was sitting here. I was asking people to pray for me this morning as I preached because I knew it was going to be, it wasn't going to come out as well as on the sermon sheet. And I'm going, God, what do you, what do you want me to do? And so, so I want to look at these three words and then we're just going to launch. We're just going to launch into a look at the kingdom of God. So, so after he said, you know, hallowed be thy name, here's what he says. You know, you're to pray, your kingdom come. Your kingdom. Three short words. Your kingdom come. But those words are so pregnant with meaning. They're just filled with meaning. Now, you need to understand, when we think about the word kingdom, we often think about a place. We think about Britain being the United Kingdom. We think about a place on planet Earth where the name kingdom is included in a landmass. And that is not anything close to what the Bible means when it says the word kingdom. Um, if you wanted a real simple definition, definition, simply this, the word kingdom means the rule of God. In the sense of the spiritual realm, the word kingdom means the rule of God. So, so we could safely say, uh, your rule come. Your rule come. Your authority come. Now, of course, you've got to ask the question, who is the your? Who is the your? Who are we saying, hey, we want your kingdom to come? You know, there's... Uh, I've, I don't think I've ever been more discouraged in an election year than I am this year. I, I watched, I, I've not had the courage to watch a Democratic de- debate yet, but I watched a couple of the Republicans. And I, and I think I'm like a lot of people. I leave going, is this all we got? Is the only chance, we, is this all the candidates there are? Well, I'm glad to tell you today, we're not having an election. But if there were an election, I could stand before you today and introduce a a candidate like no one else. If we were running an election for the kingdom, because kings and kingdoms go together, every kingdom has a king, I could stand you before you today and give you the utmost confidence that we have a king to offer. And that king is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is the your and kingdom come. Jesus is saying, you need to pray for my kingdom to come. He is a king like no other king. He truly is king of kings. He is Lord of lords. In 1 Timothy in chapter 6, verse 15 and 16, um, Paul is writing and, and, and he says this, God will bring this about in his own time. What is this? This is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to rule in glory and power and authority. And then Paul launches into a a descriptive nature of this king. Now think about the words you might use for some of the candidates you are thinking about in the presidential election. And then think about God's candidate. Listen to this. The Bible says, God will bring this about in his own time. He is the blessed And only sovereign. Sovereign being king. He is the blessed and only sovereign. That means this. That every other king that has been in the past. Every other king that exists today. And every other king that will come in the future. Is a king wannabe. 
that Jesus Christ is the only blessed sovereign. He goes on and says this. He is the King of Kings. Say King of Kings with me. He, say, he is the Lord of Lords. Now, now see, when you're the King of Kings, that means that every other king is under you. And when you're the Lord of Lords, that means that every person who claims to be a Lord is under you. I'm trying to tell you today that the man who died for us, Jesus Christ, the man we worship and the man we serve, there is none above him. And if there is someone in your life who's above Jesus, you're in deep weeds. You find yourself serving a false king. You find yourself serving a false sovereign. And those could have different things. It could be your job. It could be your career. It could be your family. It could be your religion. But Paul said, listen here, he's king of kings and he is Lord of lords. He's the only one who has immorality, immortality, excuse me, immortality. And immortality is eternal life. He's the only one who can offer eternal life. And the one who, I love this, the only one who has immortality and dwelling in unapproachable light. His, his, his brilliance, his sovereignty, his power is so great. It's a blinding light. And the only way we can approach, because it says no one has seen him or, or can see him, because, you know, Jesus is God and God is Jesus. So the only way we can see him is by God's amazing grace. It's by God's amazing grace. Grace. And it says to him, to him be honor and eternal might. Amen. So Jesus is saying, you should pray for my kingdom to come. Now, first I want you to see this, that that, that short portion of this prayer, your kingdom come, is a prophetic prayer. Jesus is saying, when he's saying that you need to pray for my kingdom to come, he's looking forward sometime in the future. And we don't know when that sometime is. But there is coming, according to Revelation chapter 20, there's a time coming when Jesus Christ will reign physically on this earth for a thousand years. Satan is going to be shut up for a thousand years. And the Bible says that Jesus will rule with an iron fist for a thousand years. There, Listen, there will finally be peace on earth when the king of peace comes to earth. Now, don't be discouraged in this world that we live in. Don't be discouraged because there seems to be wars and rumors of wars. And there seems to be upheaval on the stock market. Just remember where you are. You're in a war zone. The time for peace is not now. But Jesus says there's coming a time. And when he physically reigns on the earth for that 1,000 years, there will be peace. And all that does is finally usher in eternity. Of peace. Listen to the words of Revelation 21, 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no more sea. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity. And He will live with them. They will be His people and God Himself will be with them and be their God. And He will wipe away 
every tear from their eyes. Someone say amen. Too many tears shed. Some were shed with, with Brother Dennis this week as Candy went home to be with the Lord Jesus. There'll be no more tears. Death will no longer exist. Grief, crying, and pain will exist no longer because the previous things have passed away. Friends, listen, there is coming a day. And it's coming a day when death will no be no more, tears will be no more, pain will be no more. And it's when finally in eternity, Jesus reigns in his full glory as king in a universal way. And that's for us who know Jesus Christ as Savior. That's for us who have been redeemed. You want to know why we should celebrate every week? Because of that. Come on now. You want to know why we should celebrate every week? Because there's coming a time where death will be no more. Some of you who have lost your spouse and you felt the sting of death, I want you to know the sting of death has been defeated and ultimately will totally be done away with. I'm telling you, we've got reason and cause to be celebrated. We, we have a king today who can make a difference and will make a difference in eternity. But we have a king who can make a difference today. Because you see, when he said, you're to pray, your kingdom come. Jesus, your kingdom come. It not only was a prophetic prayer, it also was a personal prayer. Now, I want you to try to grasp this. Someone said this once, and it finally just burrowed its way into my heart. And it was pretty much a game changer for me, understanding God's kingdom. It's simply this. It's not real profound. It may be a little deep. I don't know. But the bottom line is this. God's kingdom, God's rule in its simplest form lives in each one of us who know Jesus Christ as Savior. In its simplest form, the rule of God, if you are a Christ follower, if you're a Christ follower, in its simplest form, the rule of God is within you. And it's a, it's a personal prayer that we should be praying, God, come and rule in my life. And if you are a Christ follower, that happened the day you trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. If you're not a Christ follower, I pray today would be that day. So I wanted to spend our time. When, when Brother Dave was singing Redeemed, I said, thank you, Lord. When we were singing, all I have is Christ, I said, thank you, Lord. Because I want us to understand as believers, and if you're here today and not yet a believer, I want you to understand what all this means about the kingdom rule in your life. See, Jesus said, and this is on your sermon sheet, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 20, he said these words. For I tell you, Unless your righteousness exceeds or surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will know wise or you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Let me read that again to you. For I tell you, unless your righteousness, your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, now let me let me just do this real quick. You remember what I said at the beginning of the message and, and last week about father? 
I mean, the Jews like were going. When Jesus said these words, the heart of every Jew sunk to the bottom. Because in their world, in their culture, these people called scribes and Pharisees were like the religious elite. I see in some people Pharisaic characteristics, but probably in this room, there's not a person that religious. Their their religion impacted everything they did. They didn't go to church three times a week. They weren't church three times a day. The clothes they wore shouted, I am a Pharisee. The prayer boxes they wore, the prayer shawls that they wore, the, the tassels on their, on, their, on their gowns, all of it said, I'm a Pharisee, I'm righteous. And the average Jew would look at them and go, if, he, if, it, if I've got to be better than him, I'm not going to make it. And you understand that's what so often the message we portray to the lost people. We portray this message that somehow we're better than everybody, that we've got it all together. And when they look at our all together and quote lives that is plastic and they say, I could never be as good as them. That's the message we convey. And Jesus is saying, unless you're more righteous than them, you will never see the kingdom of heaven. Wow, that could be discouraging. And it gets even more discouraging. Let me read to you, again, kind of a familiar scripture. We quote a lot, but you may not know where it's found. It's in, it's in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. Listen to these words. But we are all as an unclean thing. And all our righteousness, how much? All our righteousness, all our going to church, all our writing checks, all our dressing up the right way to go to church, um, all our good deeds for people, all our kindness, all those different things that we would say, God, look what I did. All those are as filthy rags. I'm not going to let it pass. The illustration there, not stretching it and not being coarse You have two choices. Theologians say those filthy rags were either A, the pus-filled rags that a leopard used to wrap his wounds in, or the rags used when a woman had her monthly cycle. Both of them horribly unclean. And God's Word says all that stuff that we do that we think makes us right with God are those. And keep in mind, our righteousness has got to exceed that the scribes and the Pharisees. Is that a dismal picture? Does it seem just a bit hopeless? I hope it does. That's exactly where I want to bring you to. Well, wait a minute, Dwayne. If, if that's really true, if, if, what, if what Isaiah said is true, and it's God's word, so it must be, then we're in deep weeds. And the truth is, we are without God in deep weeds. He goes on and says this. We all do fade as a leaf and our iniquities, like the wind, have carried us away. So here's the deal. Our righteousness, in order to be in the kingdom, in order to be able to to be a part of God's kingdom, in order to have God's rule, in order to be able to say Jesus is my king and, and God is my dearest father, for that to happen, 
My righteousness has to exceed that of the most religious, religious person you could think. For us, it might be Billy Graham. If all of a sudden the standard became Billy Graham, and I'm not proposing that, but all of a sudden the standard became Billy Graham, we all have to be more spiritual than Billy Graham. We all go, well, there I go. I'm done. I'm going to hell. It's over. What are you going to do? Fortunately, what you couldn't do, God did. I just want you to hear that. Because I'm speaking to people on the radio in this room today who somehow still think you're good enough to please God. And you're not. No man is. Well, there was one, and they nailed him to a cross like that. We can do nothing to earn God's favor or his righteousness. We cannot earn the right to call him dearest father. We cannot earn the right to call Jesus king of kings or lord of lords. And this is so essential for you to understand kingdom business. So what are we to do? I love it. Tucked away in, a, in the second letter... Maybe the third, but the second letter to the most carnal church in the New Testament time, Corinthians. Here's what we read those, read those words. 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him, God made Jesus, to be sin that we could be the righteousness of God. Now you've got it. Yeah, Jack, we just got to say Amen. So, so, so here's the deal. Here's the deal. I, I know you've heard this before, but hear it again. Here's the deal. Jesus said, I tell you what, you ain't got a chance. But I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll take your sin and nail it to my cross. And in exchange, I will give you my righteousness. Now, let me ask you a question. <laughs> Do you think Jesus' righteousness exceeded that of the scribes and Pharisees? I said, do you think that Jesus' righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees? Someone say, "Uh uh-huh. Say, you better believe it. You better say, that's a fact. See, what what we don't have to bring to God, Jesus gave us to take to God. We had no righteousness, so he gave us his own. And in exchange... He, this is big. He not only hung on a cross and drove nails to his wrists and his feet and they whipped him to within an inch of his life, all of that. He became sin. That's what the Bible says. He became our sin and the full, I know you've heard this before. I know. I can't get tired of telling it though. The full wrath of God was poured out on him and, and, and God's wrath was appeased By his sacrifice for me, Charlie, and for you. Is that just a little bit of motivating factor to be a good kingdom citizen? Doesn't that just fire you up a little bit? What would it take? You know, again, I understand when people get elected, they're able to give political favors. Well, my goodness. The man of the king of kings, the Lord of God, the God man died for us. What more could he do than he's already done? Amen? Now, now here's the thing we don't often talk about is, okay, I get that. Okay, I have nothing. I've got filthy rags. 
And Jesus said, I'll exchange you. I'll take your sin. And then you give me your righteousness. Yeah, that's right. How's that happen? How's that happen? Well, you know, a scripture we used to use a lot that we don't use very often now, but I want to bring it up again because I think it's still very valid. Scripture is. But how does that take place? Well, Paul gives us a picture, and, and let me just kind of go through it with you again in case you haven't heard it in a long time, or maybe you've never heard it before. And, and, let me, and let me pause here and say this. The reason we shied away from this scripture is because for about three or four decades, we would get people on the ground, put their knee, our knee in their back, twist their arm and say, pray this prayer. If we could guilt them, we'd guilt them. If we could promise them the moon, we'd promise them the moon. And thousands of people said, okay, God, I'm sorry for my sin. I believe in Jesus. Amen. No more minute than there, no more minute than anything. But they prayed the prayer. They prayed the prayer. Do you honestly believe that's what salvation is about? It's bigger than praying a prayer. It's a commitment to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It's 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 recognizing that you're a sin. A sinner and turning from that sin and following Christ. I mean, this idea, this thought that we had, or or the people said, just go to church. Just do this, just do that. No, no. Here's how Paul put it. This is good old Romans chapter 10. Remember that one? We used to call it the Romans Road. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Confess means to say out loud, to say from the heart, say out loud, to take from what's on the inside emotionally and vocalizing it. And you could easily say here, if you were to confess your mouth, Jesus is king. It's a surrender statement. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Believe. Remember, Abraham believed God and was counted for him for righteousness. Believe that God raised him from the dead, you will what? Be saved. If you'll confess outwardly that Jesus is now my king and believe that God raised him from the dead and with that comes all that Jesus did, believing what Jesus Christ did, you will be saved. One believes with the heart resulting in righteousness. There's your righteousness. And one confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. There's salvation. Believing and being saved. Believing and being saved. Then he says this. Now the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. Black man, white man, green man, yellow man, rich man, poor man, it doesn't matter. Everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. Since the same Lord of all is rich to all, who call on him. And here it is. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Not a simple prayer, but a real commitment. Which means this if you're sitting here today and you take me at the door and you whisper in the mirror and say, Dwayne, you don't know what I've done. <laughs> you don't know what I've done. I don't care. Who cares what I care about? 
God doesn't care what you've done. His grace is sufficient. Yeah, you can clap on that one. His grace is sufficient. That is so incredible. It's so big. It's so powerful. I'm telling you, the king of kings has that kind of grace and power. Wow. Wow. His grace is sufficient for me. And that, with that decision, with that commitment, again, bigger than a prayer, with that decision... God, I acknowledge that I am a sinner and I believe what Jesus did on the cross. I turn from my sin and choose to follow you with that commitment and that decision. Things change. Listen to what Paul said in Philippians chapter 3. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth so that I may gain Christ, be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. So how do we get in the kingdom? We believe. Faith. Faith in what He did and what God can do for us. And that sets us up for living in the kingdom. That sets us up for living in the kingdom. The Bible says in Philippians 3.20, our citizenship, every born-again believer, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, with citizenship comes loyalties. Now, again, the thought and idea that you can hang your hat on going to heaven and ignore the King Jesus... It's false. That's a hopeless salvation. When Jesus becomes your king, you change loyalties. Your citizenship. Your citizenship is where? In heaven. Judy and I went out to eat. Thank you, someone who gave us the gift card. And we were at Red Lobster. And this lady was speaking with a thick accent. And so I said, so what's your accent? And she said, Germany. And I said, oh, love Germany. Spent three years there. It's just an amazing country, an amazing time. We were, you know, the waitress gets the whole story with me. You know, you know, we were young newlyweds and it was wonderful in love and it was a beautiful country. All these things like this. And so I finally said, so when did you come to America? And it was in 1976, the same year that Judy and I were married. And here's what she said. She said, and I became a citizen of America a few years later. Do you go back to Germany very often? No. I had to go when my father died and to see my brother once to sign some papers. You know what happened? When she became a citizen of America, her loyalties Changed. She went from being loyal to Germany to being loyal to America. When you enter the kingdom of God, when you are born again, when you become a Christ follower, when you say, I believe this and I turn from that and choose this, your loyalties change. 
You don't do business anymore like you used to. You don't talk like you used to. You don't treat people the same way anymore. You may not even dress the same way. Your loyalties change. Oh, hey. Some of y'all been wanting me to mention politics. Well, here you go. Even your voting habits change. What is important to you changes. Paul said, I was a citizen of another world. But when I became a citizen... Things changed. And when we became Christ followers, and we became members of the kingdom, and we had a new king, and that king is Jesus Christ, things change. Loyalties do change. Now, our love changes. This is a really cool scripture. Here's a little bit of background. It's way back in Exodus and chapter 21. Way back there, way back there. Here's the deal. Back in those days, you could buy a Hebrew into servitude. So they would buy another Hebrew and they would serve for six years. On the seventh year, they had the choice to go free. But here's the deal. If the master had given that Hebrew a wife of his own, and that person, they got married obviously, had a wife, and they had children... When it came time for you to be free, the wife and the children had to stay behind. So, you had to make a choice. And here's what it says. Listen to these words. It's pretty cool. If the servant declares, I love my master and my... Notice what it said. I love my master and my wife and children and do not want to go free. Then his master must take him before the judges. He shall take him to the door or the doorpost and pierce his ear with an awl. Then he will be his servant for life. Before he served in bondage. But the day he chooses to stay with the master, he becomes a bond servant. And to mark that, they put a Large hole in his ear. And whenever someone sees that large hole, it declares, I serve because I love. I'm not staying because I have to. I'm serving because I love. I wish there's some way this world would know that we don't serve God because we have to. I wish we could get it in our heads. We don't serve God because we have to. We love our King I'm willing to forgive. I'm willing to love. I'm willing to give. I'm willing to die because I love the king. Would to God that we would burn that and get that in our hearts. He goes on and says in Matthew 13, 44, that Jesus talks about the great price of the kingdom. Listen to this. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure uh, buried in a field that a man found and reburied. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. And he says this. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. And when he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. The kingdom of heaven and the king we serve is not someone we should serve out of drudgery or duty, but love. Can I ask you a question? You know, Judy, you asked me a question. I never gave you an answer, and I don't have an answer yet. 
I'm not sure where she was going with this. I think I had to do the Sunday school lesson. But she said, Dwayne, what's your most valued possession? And so, I don't have a lot. I'm not like I'm poor. I don't mean that either. But I got got like, you know, thanks to Mike Maynard, I collect TVs. (laughs) Is he here today? Well, ask him. He'll tell you. I've got three 55-inch TVs and there are two people in my house. Yeah, it's, it's weird. But so I thought, Judy, and I said, would that be? And I said, no. And so you're like, you know, I, I'm, and thanks to Dave Higgs, I'm an Apple dude now. So I've got like the Apple phone. I've got the Apple iPad. I've got an iMac. I've got a MacBook Pro. I've got everything. But if you were to say, Dwayne, is that your most valued possession? No. <laughs> and then I, you say, well, what about that, that car you drive? There is only one reason I talk about that old, old Grand Prix. I've told you this before. If I'm going to drive a 14-year-old car, I want to be the best one in town. I'm not in love with that car. What I'm trying to say is this. I think with an authentic heart, I can tell you my most valued possession. It's my cane. And I'm not boasting. I'm not boasting. I'm just kidding. It helped me realize, Judy, when you said that, wait a minute, the thing that really matters is God. He'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. Jesus died for me. And I get to go to heaven one day. Can anyone here top that? Think where you are. What is your most valued gig? What is it? Is it the title? You're vice president of this? Or, or you've got a name down at the country club? Or you've got a name down at the school? Or you've got a name at church? Is that your gig? Is it more valuable than the king? I think not. Especially when the doctor says the dreaded cancer word. Or the state police call in the middle of the night. And your life has changed forever. Can I have an Amen. I'm trying to tell you that Jesus is worth it all. Kingdom living with him as king and us under him and subject to him is worth it all. So can I close with one warning? Is that okay? This is so appropriate today. Because even though I stood before you and what did Andy Stanley say? Now you're accountable. <laughs> so maybe I'm accountable before you now for what I said about being king, him being the king. Here's a, there's a real warning for us. Even if today you'd say, no, Dwayne, Jesus, the kingship of Jesus is the most important thing. My, my having him as my savior is the most important thing. Beware. Because the thief wants to steal that. He doesn't like kingdom people. He likes religious people. Jesus, Satan has no problem with you being religious. But when you start getting serious about Jesus being your king, it kind of gets under his skin. The children of Israel come out of Egypt. They come out loaded with money. They get there against the Red Sea. Here comes Pharaoh and all his chariots. God miraculously opens up the Red Sea. The children of Israel go over on dry ground. Are you getting this picture? 
They go over on dry ground. The Egyptians follow them. The sea comes in, washes them out, kills them all. And the kids, the children of Israel go on the other side. You got all that? Not too much longer. They get hungry and thirsty. Here is what they said. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, the Israelites said to Moses and Aaron, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. Now, y'all remember Egypt? Do I need to go over that? Whips, beating our backs, labor, sun up to sun down, not a day off. You got the picture? There... In Egypt, we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. We sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. Was that true? Uh, No. (laughs) But their circumstances of being hungry and thirsty calls them to imagine an unreal past. And even today, if you're saying, Jesus is my king, Jesus is my king, I'm rock solid, I'm rock solid, Jesus is my king, watch out for the whispers. When things get a little hard, when the boss is difficult, when your wife or husband's difficult, or your child's getting, all of a sudden a whisper comes. Wasn't it better before Jesus? When you did your thing, life was easier. Be careful. Because Satan doesn't mind your religion, but he hates it when you live for the kingdom. Be careful. Be careful. So Jesus said, My, your kingdom come. We're to pray, Jesus, your kingdom come. We have a king that is so magnificent. So magnificent. Entry into the kingdom is magnificent by his blood and through God's grace. Our repentance and choosing to follow is magnificent. Don't let Satan steal the magnificence of the king and the kingdom away from you. Would you bow your heads there, please? Dwayne, you sounded just a little intense today. Oh, man, I am. We got to fight for this one. We got to fight for this one. Satan does not want us to have this. He wants heaven to be a pie in the sky deal. He wants Jesus to be some historical figure. Jesus is King of Kings. He is Lord of Lords. And He is our hope. If you're here today, you've got a whole lot. And if this is your first time in church for a long time, you're going, whoa, what was all that? I hope you heard, though, that Jesus died on a Roman cross, willingly, And took the full wrath of God for our sin. What I couldn't do, he did. 
And then he says, whosoever. It is true. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God's not about religion. It's not about going to church. No. God's about redemption and love and forgiveness. So my brother and friends going to be standing down front here. And uh, we would love to tell you more. A lot of us have been walking with Jesus a long time. And it's been quite a ride. It has. It has. So if we can help you find our friend Jesus, if you feel that tug in your heart for some reason, wait a minute, preacher, what you're saying, it feels like it's to me. How'd you know? That could well be the pull of God in your life to come and to be saved, to be redeemed, to be forgiven. A lot of us are Christ followers here today. A chunk of us, a big chunk. Are you willing to submit to the kingship of Jesus? Would you be willing to pray, pray your kingdom come? And somehow that means in the future, you got that prophetically, but also means personally. That when I get up in the bed in the morning, I'm willing to pray, God, it's your deal today. Your kingdom come. God, I'm going to treat people like the king wants me to treat people. I'm going to handle money today like the king wants me to handle money. I'm going to love my wife like the king wants me to love my wife. I'm going to love my children like the king wants me to love my children. Are you willing to do that tomorrow as a Christ follower? It's huge. It's huge. I pray you will. God, you're so good. You're magnificent. That's a word on my heart today. You're magnificent. Thank you for your magnificent grace and love and mercy and forgiveness. Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to draw people to yourself. And I'm asking you to convict our hearts where necessary. To bring us to a point where we understand the rule of God in our lives. That Jesus, you're a king and we're not. You're a king and we're not. Our job, our mission, our purpose is to love and serve you. So have your way, Jesus. And I pray in your precious name.